Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. On this week's show, we'll update you on Vatican City's first case of the coronavirus and how the Vatican and Pope Francis are responding to the national and global outbreaks. We've also got news on what the topic of the next Synod of Bishops will be. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from uh, Rome, Colleen. How's it going? Uh, we've seen all kinds of news updates about the coronavirus. What's going on with you? Well, it's a very strange city. I think since the world se- end of the Second World War, we haven't experienced something like this, where uh, few people on the streets, uh, there's a sense of fear, and nobody knows when this scare will end. Yeah, I'm, we chatted earlier and you were telling me that, uh, you know, the, the mood of the city has changed pretty strongly since last week, right? Because last week, I remember we were talking about the French church by your house that closed um, or that canceled masses. And you were saying, well, a lot of people think it should stay open. And it, it sounds like uh, that has changed quite a bit. Well, uh, absolutely. Over the weekend, uh, the situation changed dramatically. First with the lockdown on 16 million people in the north of Italy, and then last evening with the Prime Minister saying, sorry, but the lockdown has to apply to the whole country. The basic message the, the Prime Minister said is, stay at home. So what's it like going about daily life in, in Rome right now? Well, daily life is totally abnormal. One person from the family can go out to get uh, provisions. Uh, you can go out if you have other urgent business, such as to visit a doctor or to get uh, medicines or some other important business. But you're advised very strongly by the government to stay at home. I, I went into the baker's near my house uh, yesterday. But there was a man at the door controlling, allowing only a few people in at a time. And there had to be one meter between each person because this virus moves from person to person. So physical contact. There is a sensation here, even among the young people now, they realize that they have to be very careful because they don't get the virus by and large, but they can give it to their grandparents or to their elderly parents. Right. Or to older people. Jerry, there was also a big uh, interruption to Italian life, I guess, uh, you know, in terms of the church. Um, the Italian Bishops Conference canceled all public masses in the country. And uh, you were telling me that, you know, you went to mass on Sunday and had to sit a meter away from people. How have people reacted to this? Well, people are f- afraid. They understand the necessity of the government and the church working hand in hand for the people's good. In the church on Sunday, we went in and the main part of the church was sealed off. They held the mass on the side aisle at a chapel and there were only 15, 20 seats, each uh, one meter between each. And at the end, the, uh, during the Mass, the priest said, uh, I don't, we don't take the collection because you're going to receive communion in the hand, not in the mouth. And uh, he said, this will be the last Mass until at least the 3rd of April. Which is Palm Sunday, I think, right? Palm Sunday, well, just before Palm Sunday, yes. 
and uh, people are resigned. They, there, is, there is fear, there's no doubt, because you have to understand the, the health situation in Italy. Where the virus has struck most heavily has been the north of Italy, which has the best medical care and structure in the country. The further south you go, to Rome, and especially when you go to the south of Italy, the whole healthcare system is much worse. But the big problem is, if you get a lot of people with the virus, you need intensive care units, you need respirators. They have a small number of these. And so the doctors in some hospitals, they've already said, we have to take decisions. If a young person and an old person comes in, we have to give the respirator to the young person. Mm. And, and this is a situation, you go back to the war, to have this kind of choice, we protect the young and we have to realize the old, we cannot help them. And so this, uh, the government was absolutely right to impose this very severe lockdown in an, in an attempt to break the wave of contagion that was spreading across the country. Um, the Vatican City State reported its first and so far only case of coronavirus on Friday. They weren't a resident of Vatican City, but uh, they passed through the medical center for a routine examination that was required for a job that they had applied for in the Vatican. And then the next day, this person developed symptoms of coronavirus. They tested positive at a hospital in Rome. And then that hospital called the Vatican Health Clinic, where the patient has been had been, and they sanitized the area. Um, so... As a follow-up to this, or also because of this widespread sickness, we've seen the Vatican take additional precautions around the coronavirus, and I was wondering if we could run through some of those. Well, for example, they, they have, uh, of course, done the basic explanation. You have to wash your hands, you to stop physical contact. You saw the audience with the Pope uh, yesterday when he met the French bishops. They all sat a meter apart. They were all set, set a meter apart. And the, the I think CNS, they, they showed the photo, contrasting the photo of the meeting with the American bishops two weeks mm -hmm. ago and this one today. It's a, another world. The Vatican has also told employees in the north to go home and not come in. Right. The, the Vatican has realized that they cannot attract people to come to the Vatican. This is the first step. So they don't want to have events or people coming in. So they've stopped meetings. They've stopped. Uh, the Pope has individual meetings, but they, they're very careful that they realize they had a scare in the Secretariat of State last week where they thought that one person there had the virus, but it, the result was negative. But they closed the whole of the Secretariat of State for some hours. Wow, I didn't know that. And this would have meant that the top government of the church would have had to work uh, from their homes, from their apartments. Do they have the capacity to do that? I mean, is there a remote work kind of culture at the Vatican? Well, there's a smart work, as, as they call it, where people work. Uh, a lot of work is done by uh, internet and uh, conference, but uh, the, the more important things are done sitting around the table. Um, speaking of technology being used in this crisis, Pope Francis has been delivering his public audiences virtually. Um, this weekend, he delivered the Angelus to a very sparse crowd in St. Peter's Square. You could kind of see they were all a meter apart as well. But 
he he also appears to be doing better. We talked last week about how he was sick. He is very well now. You could see on the Sunday audience. I, I watched him very closely the previous week, and then the previous, and then last Sunday. No more coughing. He's looking better. He's looking more rested. And of course, now he will be more rested because he has no public audiences. He will do these uh, video conferences on Wednesday for the public audience and also right through, I think, until the 3rd of April. And then we're at the beginning of Holy Week. Nobody is putting any money on whether the Holy Week ceremonies will go, go forward normally. Because Today, for example, in Italy, they're talking that the closure of schools and universities will probably extend to after Easter. Yeah, and also um, it might be a challenge because I've heard that St. Peter's Square and the Basilica are effectively closed, right? Do we know how long that would last? Yes, up to this morning, uh, you to get into the basilica, you had to go through the square, obviously. So the police stopped you and they asked you, you know, why? what's the reason you want to go in? If it were for work reasons, like a reporter wanting to report and what, they would say, okay, other people know. Now the Vatican has issued a statement saying that no guided tours or visits to the Basilica or to St. Peter's Squares. They're doing this in coordination with the Italian authorities to avoid gatherings of people. Um, Francis is also, he, he's not doing public masses, obviously, that would be a huge crowd, but he is doing his private masses in the guest house where he lives still and now those are being live streamed uh, on YouTube so if our viewers want to watch those they can find them uh, Jerry how is the Pope kind of expressing his his closeness to people I've, I've seen him he's talking a lot about it in his homilies he's opened up this these uh, live streams can you talk a little about that well yes I, I mean we saw on Sunday he gave his basic message from the uh, library where he meets heads of state normally. But then he, he decided he wanted to go to the window. And so he took everybody by surprise, but he went to the window for one minute just to say, you know, here I am, I'm close to you. And he, he's conveying this message now every morning. He's saying, we pray for the sick, we pray for those who are suffering, their families, for the caregivers, for the volunteers. He, he's, he's trying to communicate his closeness his concern, and his presence among them. It's a virtual presence, but it's real. And I think it's greatly appreciated here, the fact that he has chosen to do this. Before, his Mass in Santa Martha in the morning was for the 20, 30, or 40 people, privileged guests. Now he's opened that up completely, and he's doing it for the public without a real audience in the congregation in the church. Yeah, it, it kind of makes me wonder if, if he'll continue doing that after this is over. Um, Pope Francis also wrote a letter today, Tuesday, March 10th, in the daily newspaper of Padua in the north. Um, he wrote that he was close to anyone suffering from coronavirus, and especially uh, to the people who can't receive visitors right now because of the lockdown. So the elderly, the sick, people in prison. Um, if our listeners want to find our full coverage of the coronavirus, the Vatican's response to it, they can find that at americamagazine.org. And of course, I'll link to them in the show notes, and we'll be talking about them here on Inside the Vatican.
for our second story this week, the Vatican has announced the theme of the next Synod of Bishops. This will happen in 2022, and this synod will focus on synodality. Um, Jerry, my first reaction to this is that it's kind of meta to have a synod focused on synodality. But, you know, we've talked about synodality a lot on the show. It's been a big focus of Francis' papacy. And people have even talked about, you know, having a synod on synodality for a long time. So maybe for our listeners who have joined us more recently, who aren't familiar with this term, what does it mean? Basically, it means walking together. It's a two Greek words, syn odos. It means walking together. And what Francis really wants is, you remember he, he once said to the young people in uh, in Rio, the young Argentinians... Make a mess. No, shake things up. Shake things up, yes. It was not, not create a mess. Some, some people argue about the uh, translation of that. Well, I think it means shake things up. And I, so I'll stick by You're that. more familiar with Argentina than me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but really, he, he felt that the church was locked somewhat into a maintenance mood. You had your parishes, you had your schools, you had your institutions, your, your structures, and everybody knew what everybody had to do. Uh, but it, it was a rather staid uh, static situation. And he, he feels that's not how the church should be. It should be more dynamic. And it shouldn't be a top-down operation where the priest directs the parish and everybody obeys, you know. We teach, you follow. He, he, he says Vatican II had a different vision of church. He spoke of the church as the people of God, that everybody is working together. Each has a different role to play. And Vatican II also created this group called the Synod of Bishops, right? So what was the purpose of that? Vatican II came up with uh, this idea of the Synod of Bishops, which would be a more dynamic, that the bishops would work together with the Pope, that they would work together. And so you had more of this idea of a college working together, but also that people, bishops, are responsible not only for their own diocese, but for the whole church. And so there was this idea of co-responsibility, of sharing, of working together. And then there was the understanding that the lay people who are the majority of the church, that their role was not a secondary, a subject role. They were to be active members of the church. They were to participate fully. And so this whole idea of the church as the people of God, emerged very strongly. And so the Synod, which started then, the Synod of Bishops, together with the Pope, would look on the major issues of the time. They would get together ever so often, usually met two or th- every two or three years, to discuss a big issue. After Vatican II, there was great initiatives, and then there was a kind of, the brakes were put on a bit. Right. Some were unhappy in Rome with how it was going, especially under the John pontificate of John Paul II, but also to a certain extent from the Benedict. And now Francis is taking the brakes off and putting a little the foot on the accelerator. And he, he says, we have to really implement what Vatican II wanted. And now perhaps we understand better what Vatican II wanted and the significance of this new style of church in today's world. And I, I think, so this coming synod in 20 October 2022 is going to be very important. It will be one of the ways that Francis has shaped the church under his pontificate. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, Francis, you know, the anniversary of his election is coming up on Friday. He will have been Pope for seven years. Um, and as we've just talked about, he's he's done a number of synods, the young people, the family, the Amazon. So I'm wondering, you know, why why do a synod on synodality now? Do you think it's a, I mean, my first thought is that it's a response to some of the criticisms of synodality that have come up, but I, I want to know what you think. No, 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 it's not a response, I think, Colleen. It's not a response to the criticism. By having a world synod of bishops, you're going to have bishops from every country in the world coming. They will have to discuss it with their people before the, the meeting happens. What is synodality? So a whole major discussion of what synodality entails, what kind of church is envisaged in synodality, is going to take place before the synod happens. Mm -hmm. And the bishops in the synod then will bring together the thoughts, the discussions, the questions that emerge from those discussions. And so he's preparing for a widespread understanding of what a synodal church means. I think this is going to be very important. I think this could well be part of his lasting legacy to the church. He's going to be nearly what, 85 going on 86 when this synod happens. He knows that, you know, that the clock is ticking for everybody, and he knows it's ticking for him. But he feels very strongly that helping the church to understand a new way of being church, as called for by Vatican II, not by Francis, but by Vatican II, mm -hmm. he, he feels that this will bring real new fruits to the church, will create more lively communities, church communities, and could well inspire more vocations as well. You know, he's coming up on his seventh anniversary, like you've said, this was almost the amount of time that Benedict was Pope. And I remember that Francis often said at the beginning of his pontificate that he thought this would be a short one. Um, I, I don't know. So, like, in light of that, what do you what do you make of him setting this for two years from now? Well, I always thought that he was joking a little when you said my pontificate will be short one, because he's always said that God is a God of surprises. <laughs> uh, the first surprise was his election, mm -hmm. uh, and the second surprise is uh, when when you say to him, as many people have said to him, look, how do you get the energy to go out and greet all these people at the public audiences every and so on? Francis says, this is the grace of office. He, he really believes that God is giving him a particular grace to have this kind of way of being Pope. He will be 85, 86. He's in good health now, very good health. People I've spoken to are very close to him, say he's in good health. There's no conclave on the horizon, Colleen. So all we know about this synod in 2022 so far is the theme, but as our listeners who have stuck with us for a few synods now will know, uh, we will have a lot more to talk about as the 2022 Synod on Synodality draws closer. Cardinal Pell, would you please stand? All things considered, I impose the following sentences upon you. On charge one, being the indecent act against R, I convict and sentence you to two years and six months imprisonment. 
on charge too. Uh, one more story that our listeners can keep their eyes out for this week is uh, Cardinal George Pell's appeal case. So Pell has been in prison since 2018. He was convicted of sexually abusing a minor. Uh, and he'll make his final appeal to Australia's highest court on Wednesday, March 11th, the, the day the show comes out, and Thursday, March 12th. Um, so Australia's high court could reject the final appeal flat out this week, but if they decide to hear it, can you run us through what could happen? Uh, there are various possibilities. They could say no to the appeal, and so he stays in prison until October, I think, 2022. They could say, yes, we hear it, and we overturn the case, which case he goes free. They could say we send it back to the appeals court to hear it again. Uh, we don't know which track they will take. It's a very important moment uh, because uh, his own fate is uh, at stake. It's a big uh, issue for the whole of the Catholic Church. He was one of the top advisors of the Pope. And it's big for Australia's legal system and the way that they try these cases. Yeah, absolutely. So there are many, it's going to be, the. I've read a report in an Australian paper today, said it's going to be one of the most watched appeal cases in history. Right. Um, so we will have coverage of that at americamagazine.org. And if you want more up-to-date uh, coverage, you can follow Jerry on Twitter at Jerry O. Rome or America on Twitter at americamag. So, Jerry, I think that's all we have for today. Uh, thanks for a good talk, and I, I hope that everything stays all right for you with the quarantine. You'll be in our prayers. Well, you keep praying for us. <laughs> I pray for the country. No, pray for the country because it's it's. You know, you've got six sixty million people here. Everybody realizes that they could be struck by the virus. Uh, all right, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Colleen. Thanks. See ya. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Lowshirt studio in New York City. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Production assistant from Isabel Seneschal. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week.